We're going to start the City Council work session for Tuesday, May 15, 2018. Yeah. Uh, the first topic is to discuss the scope of the Robert A. Lee Recreation Center Improvement Project. Uh, who's going to start, Julie or Ron or Julie? Good evening, uh, Julie Seidel-Johnson, Parks and Recreation Director, I'm here to get some input from you on the rec center renovations. Um, most of this information is in your packet, so I'll go through it fairly quickly on the slides here. Um, we're talking about Robert A. Lee Recreation Center here near downtown. It's a building that we have been slowly renovating and trying to spruce up over the last two and a half, maybe a little bit longer, but since I've been here, when I came, it was, especially the upstairs was fairly dark and dingy and not a lot of people wanted to hang out there. Well, we've made a lot of really conscientious efforts with the resources we've had to make it an open, lighter, inviting space. Uh, if you spent much time there recently, we have families coming back. We have families spending time in our upper lobby. Um, the new railings that we had with the latest renovation have been very popular. New stairs that are safer and, and meet our accessibility guidelines. And then we did the two new restrooms downstairs, which we didn't have fully accessible restrooms before that. And we now have two off the game room. So we've had a number of uh, smaller improvements made. Um, and we'd like to talk about the next phase as we go on. Um, footprint of the building, um, Gilbert and College, with our new neighbor headed high above us <laughs> to the north, but um, just a really nice location. We have a lot of people working in downtown, walking through the building, stopping in, coming to work out, a lot of families coming for swim lessons, uh, a lot of use of the gyms at different times. One of the areas that hasn't been used very much is our racquetball court and what's now the game room, although I understand it's had several different uses in the history of the building. Right now it has a couple of pool tables, a foosball table, and couple other things, but uh, used occasionally, but not on a regular basis. Um, so we were, this project would look at creating a new space out of those spaces, renovating them into kind of one large box space, which I'll show you a, a, a drawing of in a minute. The other priority of this next phase is to provide uh, accessible changing area off the pool deck. So right now there is, although we have two accessible restrooms, they don't have showers in them, so parents coming with a child of the opposite sex that want to change in a space and shower for the pool, that's difficult to do right now. Um, so this would solve that, that problem for us. You can stop me for questions as we go. So uh, some of the pictures here on the bottom show uh, the current game room. The access to the racquetball court has been problematic. It's been named in uh, two prior studies as one of the primary issues with our building and public use of our building. Uh, it's just an awkward space. We have some storage back there. It's, it's awkward. Some of you saw it on our tour uh, last winter. Um, and not used very well at all. So what we're envisioning is creating one larger space uh, with those two smaller areas, um, and then providing, as you can see here, providing a new access from the outside off the current loading dock, although this is all preliminary design. That would be uh, things we'd have to um, 
look into further as we move on through design, um, and also providing an access to the outside, kind of up there in the northeast corner. Uh, there's a possibility to do some daylighting and get some windows in to get some natural light into the area. Uh, so one of our questions for you is, uh, we're envisioning this as a space for a nonprofit to come in and do some programming, bring some more use into our building. Um, we've had some preliminary discussion about who that might be, but we'd like your input and direction on do we choose that now or do we choose it after the space is uh, built out? Um, the other areas that we'd like to consider in phase two renovations, these are some of the, the issues that we have in the building. The top left corner is probably our number one question in the rec center. Where is the men's restroom? People stand in the hallway up there and say, where is the men's restroom? The signage, the access is odd, um, and it's truly not accessible as far as uh, ADA accessibility, some of the fixtures and that sort of thing. Same with the women's restroom on the upper level. Um, the other issues with the upper level, uh, our previous ADA study showed a number of items within the staff office areas that are non-compliant. Phase one, we fixed all of those in the main office area where my office and uh, Tammy and Chad and Kumi are located. Uh, but we have all these other offices that have been um, kind of fitted into closets. Or at one time, I think there was uh, dressing rooms because the social hall was used for a um, for stage or performance area. So it's had some different uses. The offices aren't, aren't um, considered ADA accessible. There's security issues and just kind of overall use issues with having them kind of squirreled away in these little, little areas. Um, the middle picture on the bottom shows the sound panels in the gym. Um, if you've been in the gym recently, it looks better than it did back in January. Um, we painted those with like three coats of paint, but they're still old and they still look pretty ragged. Um, we'd like to get those replaced as part of this renovation. The other thing on the upper level would be to uh, contemplate moving the kitchen. So right now the kitchen is between meeting room A and B, uh, but the, uh, it's not used very much back there. It's used by one of the churches that uses the building on Sundays. Most of the uses we get for serving meals now happen in the social hall, and a lot of a lot of uh, requests for that use. So this plan would show moving them to an area kind of close to where the elevator is. Uh, right now it has four staff offices. That would become a new catering kitchen. We don't envision this to be a full-service commercial kitchen by any means, but just a nice um, serving space, probably for warming items, dishwasher, that kind of maybe, um, but mainly just having a lot of counter space for final food prep or potlucks, lots of places to plug in the crock pot, because every potluck we have, we blow the circuit, I think, <laughs> as we go on. Um, and that would move some of the offices to what is now meeting room B, um, and then we would reconfigure those spaces down there. So that's, so the, the options with phase two of the building right now would be to do, the priorities are the, the changing restroom area off the pool deck, and then the racquetball game room area, and then one of these two projects. So either this one, which is the upper level, which would be the restrooms, moving the kitchen, reconfiguring the offices, um, kind of bringing everything on the upper level up to accessibility standards um, and um, making it more usable for the public. Or option two I wanna show you as uh, just an idea and get some feedback on this. Um, I think my, 
pictures are in the different order. Okay. Um, and this is was brought to us by the architects we've chosen for this project. Should have introduced them. They're here. Justin and Josh from OPN Architects are the is the firm we're planning on using. Um, they showed us this concept during their interview, and I want to show it to you and get some real feedback on it. Do you think it would work or not? So the lower level pool locker rooms right now are traditional locker room setup. If you haven't been there in a while, there's a men's and a women's with the various open kind of changing rooms and open shower areas, um, toilet enclosures, but generally just two big open spaces in each one. So this is similar, although this shows some walls in different places even right now. The new concept they showed us was what if we took that same space and made it into eight individual changing areas or eight individual um, restrooms. So each one of those areas would have its own door. It would have its own toilet, sink, and shower. So each one would be a self-enclosed um, shower area. So it's big enough probably for a family of four to go in and use together. Um, the thought being, and then the lockers on the outside, there is a kind of a... Uh, another shower area in the middle for people that come without needing to change. You know, the, a lot of the swim lesson kids come in their swimsuits already. They could just shower and simply go on the pool deck. Um, very different concept. I'm not sure it's been done to this scale um, in any other public pool facility. Um, you do see it in some family changing locker rooms, like they'll have a men's locker room, a women's locker room, and a smaller family one in the middle. We've um, been kind of shopping it around to some of our uh, participants and our staff, and so far the answer is, wow, I never thought of that, but yeah, that could work. Um, even with the day camps, with the large group of kids coming in, they think this would be something that would actually be helpful to them because um, they have a lot of kids that want to change and have privacy even at a young age. So, Can you flip back to the prior image? Yep. Trying to figure out where that is. No, I know where it is. I just wanted to. So it would take the same kind of corridor space, and I, and this is very preliminary design. So there's lots of things we'd have to kind of shuffle around and still figure out. Probably, it's more the concept. Do you think the individual? It would be very inclusive, and. Um, from a maintenance side, it'd be awesome for us because right now we don't have any female custodians. So if something happens in the women's locker room, we have to close it to, to address it during the day. Um, this is open, and so if something happens in one of the, the restrooms, shower areas, we could close just one, either to address it for cleaning or for maintenance concerns. Well, going back to Jim's point, I think I am confused where this is at. So this is near the pool area or right. inside? This is so, so this is to the, if I walked in from um, the where the gym is or where the yeah, yeah where the gym so is. So that would be right to here. The right. You, you would walk in here. These are the stairs to go upstairs. Right now, you would come and go to the men's locker room right about here. So that you would just continue down this hallway just a little bit. It would be a new hallway um, back here and a new line of where the current locker rooms are. Oh, okay. Yeah. I got confused. I thought we were talking about inside the pool area. No. So, so we replace the current locker rooms. It would be men's and women's yeah. joint locker area with separate rooms. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. So it's essentially a hallway out here with uh, lockers. And I don't think there's any way we would need this many lockers. But uh, lockers out here, so in this common space, and probably benches for people that want to sit down and just change shoes or whatever. But then to actually change clothes and shower for swimming or after a workout or something, you would go into one of these individual areas 
and it, essentially one person per area or a family. Comparing this to the to the previous one, it looks like you're keeping about the same number of toilets. I mean, you're not. I think so, and we would probably have to per code, right? So okay. we would we would have to work that into the design. Yeah. So you want us to process other stuff and then come back to this? What what are you what are um, you thinking? Up to you. I can show you one more slide, and then you can process away. How about that? Um, the other thing I wanted to show you was our idea on some of the signage. Um, the other the other comment or question we get often in the rec center is just where is anything? <laughs> um, and we've been slowly working on signage, but we'd like to see more of a graphic, larger overall signage, directional signage um, throughout the building in a fun sort of graphic way. These are just examples, but um, this would be another part of the project. So, Julie, is that question five as far as which one first? More, yeah, or how would you like us to make that decision when we have full information? We don't have a cost estimate on the locker room change right now. Um, we have one from last year on the upper level, um, but the first part of this study will give us cost estimate and feasibility as to you know, how, how that would work. I think the, the, the biggest part of this work session tonight is to make sure that you're comfortable with the way in which we're continuing to move forward on the on the Robert A. Lee Rec Center remodeling. Um, you know, Julie outlined several different projects we we need to do, we intend to do, but if you've got grander visions for or a different direction, then we kind of need to know that now. Um, specifically, when it comes to the project that that you moved up in the CIP prod in the in the CIP process. We need to focus really heavily on that um, game room piece where staff is suggesting that it's a good opportunity to partner with a nonprofit that has a complementary use to the rec center. I think that's where we need most of the direction. And then the, the other things like the locker rooms, um, signage, and some of the other um, projects that, um, that Julie mentioned. If you have strong opinions on those, let us know. Otherwise, we're going to continue to prioritize those like we have been. And that's going to be based on cost opinions and our own internal priorities that that uh, primarily the park staff has from working in that building on a day-to-day -day basis. We start with the or I didn't know if you. I'd say start with the lock, uh, the, yeah. uh, the racquetball facility. Oh, racquetball. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so back to the racquetball court. Yeah, what are, what are the options? What could we put in there? Well, the primary one that's been talked about has been the bike library. Um, we have not, staff has not talked with them directly. Uh, at one time they talked about it being something of a maker space or something like that, or an arts, you know, uh, an arts space open to the public. It could be just about anything, really. I and mean, we're, we're envisioning it as kind of a, an open box at this point with better access. Um, we would like to see it. In my vision, it would be a nonprofit operating it, operating it, so they could have hours similar to the rec center, but maybe not completely the same. And they would have access to it when they, because um, they would have individual access from the outside. We would be able to close off that space so they would have additional hours or hours that are different from we the rec would center. Except it doesn't have a restroom. Okay. So I can, I guess, start because I'm excited about this. I know we talked about it a little bit at um, kind of the uh, the um, something where you walk around with people. Tour. Tour. There we go. <laughs> can I remember that small word? Um, 
I'm in favor of option one. Um, I think we, I think it's been mentioned at the bike library a couple of times, and I, you know, have no reason why it shouldn't be. But I, I do like a process by which we go out and hear from interested nonprofits for the space. Um, and so that would be my preference. And then I think in just in answering one and two, as far as the financial expectations, um, I would, I would want some type of, because of the space, and I have, I guess, another comment about some additional spaces, but I'll wait till the end. Um, like a subsidized, subsidized rental space, um, you know, similar to what we would um, provide for our nonprofits um, now or currently. I mean, I know that most of the stuff is free, but for the fact that they'd be staying there or whoever that would be, be staying there for a longer period of time than what we would normally have for rental space, then I would say some type of some type of fee to give it some level of value, um, as well as you know electricity and some of those other things. So that would be my comment to that. I'm going to unclear about what you said at first. What I understood you to say was that you favor the bike library. Yeah, so option one was create a generic box space, solicit proposals from nonprofits, select and allow selected nonprofit build out the space. So he didn't say the bike library. Right. Oh, I said I was yeah. interested in the bike library, but I'm interested in hearing all opening it, it up. That was the second part yeah. I heard that you wanted to hear from. I, I just, yeah, I just didn't want to, you know, the comment is Kingsley hates the bike library as we leave. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> I, I I like the bike library, but I'm interested in opening up for So kind of like soliciting things. proposals. Correct, like an RFP process, something like that, yeah. What do the rest of you think? I guess my question is is with the timing and the cost. I mean, if we don't select one now and you do the generic box, then you've got to do additional build-out depending upon who's selected to use that space. Do we have any idea how much that's increasing the cost or time until somebody can get in there versus if we spent a couple of months figuring out who it was going to be and thus could actually design and build it out for them from the get-go? Does that save us time and money. Justin, do you have a opinion on that? I might have Justin, our architect, talking yeah, about Yeah, Justin Bishop with OPN Architects. Um, I think there would obviously be synergies if we knew everything day one to, to plan from that standpoint. Um, so it's a little hard to, to answer that um, quantifiably, but to say um, we could make sure that we're not doing anything that would have to be undone, I think that would be the approach that we could take. And depending on how the timelines work out, um, there could be time to to not be totally disconnected from the original construction as well. So, I was kind of assuming that we would, uh, our project would include the basics of this space, and whoever was chosen as the nonprofit would be expected to do anything specific with inside this inside the space that they needed for their operations. Is kind of how I was okay. thinking of this too. So, I don't think it changes our cost. It might change the cost for whoever moves in, whether it's something that can be done during construction or has to be retrofitted afterwards. Do we have any sense of what other Nonprofits might be interested in using the space how, and how they might use it? I, we actually don't know. Yeah, yeah I'd say the bar, bike library is interested. And then uh, we've probably over the last couple of years had two or, two or three other maybe suitable nonprofits that, that may work. I don't know what their financial capacity would be to particularly build out the space. Um, but Artifactory is one that's approached the council over the years looking for a, a permanent space in the downtown area. I would presume that they would be interested in, in this type of space. Um, but we would, we would strongly recommend that it's a complementary use to the rec center. So 
when we talk about nonprofits, at least in my mind, bike library, maker space that has a rec center tie to it, um, whereas a more of a social service agency, it's not really what we'd be looking at here. You want to think of this will be a fairly large open space, so that's why either of those, the makerspace or the bike library, seems to be a really good fit because you'll have high ceilings and it'll be a fairly large open area to work in. So. Can, I, can I jump in here? Sure. So I basically have three comments, and the rest of it I'm pretty neutral on, and I'll go along with, with the group. But the first thing is, in terms of the proposed nonprofit, I f strongly feel that we should support the bike library um, at the outset. I think in part because it's such a nearly perfect fit for this particular location. And while I'm familiar that maybe there could be other nonprofits that could possibly utilize it, I think the bike library is uniquely situated. First of all, to Susan's point, I think the bike library has a well-established fundraising track record and operational history. Um, they've been around for a significant period of time. I'm very confident that they would be able to assist us with, um, with fundraising. Um, second, um, they have a historic presence downtown. Up until about four or five years ago, they were up their old John Wilson sporting goods store, um, and they did a wonderful job of utilizing that space, recycling bikes, those sorts of things. It aligns with our carbon reduction goals um, in terms of reducing our auto usage, and to do that to provide low-cost bikes, which is their mission, I think is terrific. Four, it has a community policing function to it with what we've done with our bike program uh, that we can connect to the farmer's market as well as our local foods. I actually got my own bike from the library, bike library once when I was at farmer's market and happened to run into Morrow Heck and here I am having the same bike four years later. Um, so I just think there are so many really unique aspects to that particular um, entity. Uh, now, of course, we would have to get into the particulars, um, you know, assuming that if we were able to get direction for the bike library, we could see whether that would work out or they could actually carry through on fundraising. But I'm really, I'm very confident they could. They're, they're a very well run organization. Um, bathroom, supportive of the inclusive concept. I would like to get a sense of what the cost is. So if we get, we, as we all know, bathrooms in other contexts can be extraordinarily expensive. Um, so I really would, before making the final decision, really like to get some cost parameters to that. And finally, with the kitchen, hallelujah, that is so awesome. Um, we really, really needed, uh, for all the work that I've done and other people have done on this table, um, you know, that has been a huge need with the kitchen that we currently have just doesn't work for social events. And I think so to get a kitchen that's adjacent to the social space is sorely overdue, and I can't wait for events to be hosted there once that space is available. The only comment, if possible, um, to maybe upgrade it a little bit, uh, you, you mentioned the commissary concept. There is a real need for commissary-style kitchens, whether we could partner with other organizations that need that type of facility, I would at least evaluate that if the budget allows. Other than that, I think everything looks good. Um, I think to Jeff's point about, you know, do we want to maybe even have a grander design? Of course, we'd always like grander, bigger, better. Um, but I think in terms of where we are in terms of the budget, I'm very comfortable with where staff has identified before in terms of making this investment without uh, taxing the budget. I'm not exactly sure what you're referring to to Mike. Comment, Rockney. Well, I, I was just asking timing and money, and I'm not 
But to your point about, to answer your question then, um, in terms of money in the financial component to various variables, that's an important aspect. And I think that, uh, that we'll be able to have the nonprofit hopefully have some fundraising component okay. when they're, and I think bike libraries uniquely, not uniquely, but they have a track record on that, so I'm confident that they could do that. I, I think there's been a lot of support for them, but I think in all fairness to all the nonprofits out there that are, have any relationship to recreational activities, I think we need to put some sort of announcement application process or something out to everybody um, and not have it kind of predetermined and have people come back later and say, hey, wait a minute, we would, we would love to have had an opportunity for that space, but we didn't know anything about that it was even available. We may very well come back to the bike library, but I just think from a process standpoint, we need to really reach out and give other people an opportunity to express their interest and potentially financial mm -hmm. viability of, of uh, building out the space and or continuing to rent afterwards. Okay. Um, I'll come back to the other issues afterwards. Susan, what are you what are you imagining we would ask them in these requests for proposals? You know, how detailed, how thorough, that kind of thing. Well, I think staff could answer that question a whole lot better than I could. But I think just on a, a first blush, I would say one: Are you even interested? You know, here here's the space that would be available. Um, you know, you'd have to be open basically the same hours that the rec building is because there's not going to be a bathroom available. So that, that would be a limitation. You would have an external um, entrance. So one, do you have any interest? Number two, you know, what is your mission? Is it related to recreational services? Because that is our number one priority. Um, what are your funding capabilities in, because there would be some costs associated with building out the space. And then if we are assuming that they are also going to provide some ongoing rental income for the space you know, to the city, then what is their, you know, what is their capability to, to rent the space? Um, yeah, I think that would be a just first blush for a start. I mean, it, it would say it would seem like this would be somewhat similar to RFP where, you know, we would, we would solicit potential, um, We'd have some criteria that we'd like to move forward. A lot of using all the points, really, Susan just mentioned, especially highlighting um, considerations that we know are deficiencies within the space, a la bathroom, um, time of day, and other things. I would also mention, um, you know, going going back to our strategic plan, focusing on the diverse element. How are you, again, in the same sense of the rec center as as well, catering to diverse populations, just to make sure that that's a part of the conversation as well. I mean. I think that these are things off the top of my head. I think that ultimately, you know, it'd be better to have a separate conversation from that. But I do think that, you know, we could ultimately quickly put together criteria that we could have some type of RFP process. I'm, I'm inclined to go with the generic box space, option one. Um, you know, I think the, the bike library has a very compelling yep. uh, case for sure. But I think just in the, on the matter of fairness, I think it's necessary to put, put the word out see what what we get back uh, so that's and I think I think we've laid out at least preliminarily what you know could how we could frame it I guess when I talk about the kitchen um, I guess really hoping if the kitchen can be like I know that maybe you guys thinking about just <coughs> kitchen that small kitchen that they can be we can serve the food from for the event. But I really have this idea if we can have little kitchen on the rec center that have a license to cook at because I know a lot of family who are really good on cooking but they cannot they, they cannot have a license 
in their house and because it have to be a separate kitchen. And also I know the crisis center have one, but it's always busy. But if the city can do something like this, so that our immigrant family and low income, they can have another sort, even the nonprofit event, sometimes they have a member that they can cook, they can just come and rent the space and cook there for the event. I guess if that will be like an idea to think about, it will be great because we're gonna help a lot of people in the community. I would agree. One thing to keep in mind, if you're not if you're not familiar, we do have a full scale commercial kitchen in the senior center. And if you haven't seen it, we can certainly arrange for some tours. It's largely unused and has been since elder services moved out moved out of there four or five years ago, but it used to be where all the meals and wheels uh, uh, were, were, were prepared and cooked. Um, again, it's largely not used for anything but serving anymore. They don't cook there. And we've really struggled at the senior center to figure out how to use that space. We've explored some different options, but nothing's really stuck. So if the idea is something that's unrelated to the adjacent use of the social hall, like a um, a test kitchen for entrepreneurs or um, whatever it may be, we might want to consider yeah. what we have there now and focus the rec center side on the, the complementary use to the um, social hall. Not to say that you, you, you couldn't do both, but commercial kitchens are very, very expensive to build. And if we have one that's unused right now, I think we need to we should focus on that. Hey Jeff, to that extent, is it what's the what's the adjacent space? So I know that I know the commercial the assembly room. Is it similar to the size of the social hall? Yes, uh, not as large, yeah. but close. Okay, and that's one of the challenges with using the kitchen at the senior centers because the, the senior centers program so much, and it is directly adjacent to the assembly room. You you can have some conflicting uses that. Right. Yeah, it really doesn't matter as long as we have one available for the, you know, community to use. It doesn't matter if it will be in the rec center or the senior center, yeah. So it might be worth working with the director of the senior center or acting director of the senior center to see if there's <laughs> s some trial uh, mm -hmm. use of the kitchen that would uh, fit with what Maz has in mind. You know, I don't know, but we wouldn't want to just leap full bore into it, but we could just yeah. check it out. Yeah, sure. as long as we have one existed, we don't need to spend money on it, yeah. yeah. I think that's an excellent idea and a good that's use it. of the senior center, too. Mm -hmm. There may be some complications, uh, just some, just because some appliances will need repairs before we could use it full scale. Um, the walk-in cool, the freezer is not operational. Um, the group that uses it now for serving doesn't need it, so we've decided to shut it down. So we need to make some repairs yes, if we are do. going to use it. But we can absolutely explore what that could look like. Yeah, we can just spend a little money there, so we can have like kitchen for the public. <laughs> yeah, they, no, I can I'm sure so. they would like to see it used more fully. But of course, yeah. We'll just have to see. Great, thanks. Yeah, good. Well, I'm in favor of the open box uh, plan and particularly leaning towards the bike library, but I do like um, Susan's comments about opening it up um, for proposals, about establishing some criteria to, to gauge um, the interest also uh, in that space. If, if it turns out that the bike library is the only one, then, then so be it. But if there are others, then gauging how it's going to fit uh, and, and weld in with the rec center and your mission. 
Well, it sounds like there's considerable support for that. Uh, so that's probably the direction we need to move. I, I'd like to suggest that we want to make sure that we aren't saying let's open things up to get uh, proposals, brief proposals from a variety of nonprofits, knowing that we want to install the bike library there. So we have to make sure we have an open mind about that. Right. Yeah. Yes. Regarding the other uh, remodeling, I guess depending, you know, not knowing all the dollars involved, I guess my tendency for priority would be on the the pool area locker rooms. It seems like over the last two or three years we've had you know, just a number of complaints about you know accessibility and and you mentioned Julie, you know, parent with opposite gender child and you know kids get to a certain age that they're uncomfortable and other people are uncomfortable with you know a boy of a certain age going into the women's locker room or a father trying to take a daughter and no place really to go. So. Um, a lot of other things I'd like to see done, but um, again, <clears throat> given given costs and what other constraints, I think that would be my first priority. And I, I, if we're not giving up the number of spaces in terms of showers and, and toilets and that sort of thing, I really like this concept. I think it, you know, you've got closed doors, you know, you've got that hallway. I think people could and should be very comfortable in terms of being able to use that. I agree. It, currently, it, no offense, but it just seems sort of dark and dingy, and I've always disliked kind of using that room to, to, to use the pool, it. right? So, <laughs> and and the design, the new design, it looks so open. And kudos to you for for planning that because that that looks very nice. I think we have a number of questions that need to be answered before we make this final decision, right. but we just needed to know is that is that an idea you're open to? Because mm -hmm. it is so different than what we've done in the past. I did have some questions, Julie, though, and in, in the information that was given. There were a number of like safety issues that I thought are like really high priority. That uh, even mentioned some vinyl tile on the ground floor has known asbestos in it, right. and those kinds of things, and breaker issues, and lighting, um, no lack of sprinklers, uh, the uh, outside railing ramp that the um, anchors are corroding, and so that will that be incorporated somehow in whatever plan you choose then? Or? Yeah, that's an older report. Okay. So a number okay. of those things Some of those have, have been, been updated off mm -hmm. throughout the years, and with each project we do, we we do as much of that as we can. So. Uh, a fair amount of those have been taken care of. The railing outside, the the tile in the in the lower level. No, we have not because as long as it is is fastened to the ground, the asbestos isn't an issue. Right. It's only if we decide to. And we Rip have gotten quotes a couple times to do that and have not done that yet. But um, all those things are on our watch list, and we are incorporating them each year as we do other projects. A little bit of lighting here, a little bit of this. Um, the things that we have proposed for the next phase are things we could tackle in larger um, chunks that I think make sense. Yeah. I would agree as well. Um, my only question, um, I think, is, you know, what's been spoken about before as far as related to cost. And so obviously if it's some exorbitant cost, I think we need to reconsider what that would look like. Um, but also, so I know we talked about the pool area as well. Is that a part of this or? Um, in the final part of this memo, it says that there's, there will need to be a separate project for the swimming pool in the future, um, primarily for the kind of the guts of the swimming pool, the, the um, pumps, the filtration system. That is also nearing, I mean, it's an older building that's nearing the end of its useful life as well. So you will be looking at a fairly substantial project um, for the swimming area. We have, a, I think, for 2022 right now, um, kind of penciled in for that. But 
So the only thing this does with the with the swimming pool area is um, address the locker rooms and that on deck restroom. One question I have is, you know, we're being asked to choose one or the other. What what's for the one that if we were to not as this is set up, we would not be choosing one of these two options. When would it be phased in? Uh, what's the timeline? That would be my question for you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and actually, I'm not actually asking you to make a choice tonight. I'm asking for your priorities or your how would you like us to make the decision between the two and we have the full information. Obviously, budget is one of the concerns. We're not sure of the price of those lower level, level restrooms. Um, whatever we do, we want to be able to pair it with our top priorities, which are the, the rec game room space and the on-deck restroom. Um, so that right there will probably limit which of the two. But just to get a sense of upstairs, downstairs, which one which one seems like a higher public priority to you? Because I'm personally having a little trouble um, prioritizing them. I know the, the kitchen, the catering kitchen concept, I think is something that sounds quite valuable. Um, not to mention, you know, we, we saw the staff offices. They're kind of shoehorned in into places where it's really not practical for, for using as office space. So I don't know. It all, you know, I, I don't know what the overall cost of the projects, if we were to do everything, would be and if it's necessary to phase them. But and, and we'll certainly find that out as we go through the first phase of this. Um, our list is long. I realize that. We've been knocking. Jeff keeps, I, I say that every day. <laughs> I'm like, I have so much I want to get done. I have so much, so much. He says, you've got to bite it off little by little. And we've been trying, and we are, and we will continue. Um, we're trying to get enough planning done so we have realistic price and estimates on all of this so that you can help us plan for beyond this phase. Um, because there are areas we haven't touched yet within the building. Um, and as the use continues to go up, I think there's things that we will want to continue improving um, to make it a better public, even a better public space. So. You're kind of getting an inside view to our budget meetings. <laughs> this is the, these are the discussions that we have. And we struggle over these just as, just as you are. And this is just one facility. You know, we could go to Mercer and give you a similar list there. We could go to pretty much every park and, and give you similar lists. So what's in the budget right now, I, I don't have it in front of me. I'm going off memory here. But we have this, this project in the budget when we won't be able to do everything. Um, we'll get as much done as we can. And then we have the big pool project in 2022. I believe is correct. Uh, outside of that, we have an annual rec, rec center improvements line item that's fairly minimal that allows us to check the boxes of really small issues that come up and maybe some accessibility issues um, like handrails and fixtures and that sort of thing. But um, we won't be able to do all this, and there's not another line in the budget as of right now to take that next step because we, we feel that next step really needs to be the as Julie said, the guts of the pool. One question we haven't talked about that I want to make sure we get an answer from, too, is uh, during the budget process, you wanted us to also do a feasibility study for a second story or an additional story. And we're wondering if there's more information there, um, more direction on that part of the. So I know that was me, or maybe I'll say it was Jim, um, during, the budget <laughs> during the budget process, uh, really wanting to. Uh, and I'm not going to, I don't want to talk super long about it, but, you know, 
I feel like one of our things that we need to value the most, especially in an ever-expanding city, is our, our space. And I feel like a, the Recreation Center has an opportunity to expand outwards, and I don't know northwest, whatever, or I guess it's not north, but east-west, whatever that direction it is, um, to have that expansion outward into the parking lot in general. But I think I also talked about wanting to expand up as well. I'm not talking 12 stories, but I'm talking you know one or two stories, again, to accommodate, and I appreciate maybe the setup. I don't think Jim and Pauline um, talk to me about this, but you know, we just had a conversation recently, um, albeit you know, with not many members of the black community, but some members of the black community talking about the desire for more space. I, I do think this is an opportunity, and I, do, I know there's other pieces of the project that does, do provide it for an additional community space as well, but I do think it provides an opportunity to have a, an additional space or more space for community usage. And I'm not just focused on you know, um, just black families, I think it's in, uh, I think it's a part of our entire diverse community that could potentially use this space um, in different ways. I, I know we talked about, and briefly from an entrepreneurial standpoint, um, how this also could be used as kind of an experimental space for a lot of our diverse community members that work out of their homes with clothing, jewelry, and other projects that just need an opportunity to do something and, and have space to do that. And I think some of the um, economic development staff are working on some of those things and there's a thing in the parking lot over on the southeast side. So things are happening. But again, going back to that space piece, I think there's an opportunity that um, I don't want us to limit. Um, and just, I mean, I might be maybe thinking like this year, but if we're able to do some type of study, I know this speaks to the parking lot, but I'm actually thinking about going up as well. I do think it provides an opportunity that I do not want to pass on, at least from a planning standpoint, maybe not necessarily next year. So Additionally, basketball courts. <laughs> I knew that was coming. So a preliminary study that just gives us some really basic cost estimates and, and makes sure that nothing that we're doing with the racquetball game room area would preclude us from doing something in the future. Is that a fair way to state it? From expanding, right. Mm -hmm. Correct. Julie, could you clarify the, the previous study that we did that it anticipated the expansion coming out into the parking lot? That was from the mm -hmm. gym? Yeah, that is in the um, 2012 right. study. I don't. I actually don't have a lot of information. I don't know if Kumi or Chad, either one. Yeah, so there's one that talks yeah. about 2012. So in the 2012 study, when it looked at uh, was a facilities uh, review and also a master plan study for the whole um, city and looking at a variety of different facilities, one of the things that suggested in that was to expand over the parking lot and still have the parking spaces below, but also having um, potential future recreation space. There was some concern in that study about being able to expand up. So, But it was a pretty limited review. Up over the existing building? Yeah, that's correct. So, um, in the study, what it recommended was to, if we were to look at expanding, was to look at expanding to the east of the gym presently and over that existing parking lot. I don't get that. You mean like? On the top of the area that's existing building or on the parking lot so if we extend it? It would be Because nothing on the parking lot right now, right? Right. So you would but look out over that parking lot would be almost like building a parking ramp over the top of it, but it would be building space instead of parking. So a second level with parking underneath. Or Does that make okay. more sense? Sure, yeah. 
the existing parking is in the floodplain, is it not? Yes, it yeah, is. So that would have to remain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fairly side. The parking areas are, based on my estimate, almost 0.8 acres. I mean, it's a sizable amount of land. It's about half the site, it looked like. So I, that, that seemed very promising. Um, and I don't know what level of discussion has taken place in terms of thinking about I think it was that. very preliminary uh -huh. at that time, so, yeah. I guess I would support that as long as the cost to do that additional study wouldn't be too expensive. Uh, we included it in the scope of okay. our contract with Let's do it. Architects, yeah. Well, at one point, and I'm not, Kumi, I need your help on this, but at one point, roughly four or five years ago, there was some developer interest in building a, I can't remember how tall the proposal was, let's say eight stories, I don't remember, an eight-story building next to the bridge, the College Street Bridge, over the parking lot, with uh, the parking lot being used as parking space and uh, maybe another floor parking, I don't remember. But then above it, uh, a mixed-use facility of some kind. I, I, were you referring to that just when you talked about the master plan? All right, no. thanks. So Kumi's shaking her head no. <laughs> So anyhow, I just I, 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 yeah, I couldn't yeah, remember and whether that was that's nothing we're considering would, anymore. Yeah, right. But, okay. Yeah. So if in your in your um, what we sent out the packet information, there is the um, study from I guess it doesn't have the RDG study, and the three pages from the end shows has the drawing that shows what they were considering. Thanks. And it's basically one basketball court that would come out to the east. Um. Well, I guess I, I don't see any harm in uh, doing sort of an exploratory study about the cost associated with going up one floor uh, above the existing building. Um, but the more we think about adding space there, either by going up or going out over the parking lot, uh, we're talking about more time, and there are going to be lots of things unfold around here that are will uh, be affecting what kind of services we would want to provide there. Um, yeah, that would affect what kind of services we would want to provide there, and 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 even what, how much parking we would need. I don't, I don't want to get too too ahead of the game here, but so I, th I think a preliminary study would be appropriate, but only preliminary. Do, do you hear some clarity from yeah. us up here? I think, okay. Yeah, I think we have what we need. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else we should uh, process that would be helpful to you? I think we've gotten the feedback that we need to, to move forward at this point. So. So what we'll probably do, and I want to talk with Julie and her staff um, as we get through the process with, with OPN and we, we develop our recommendation, we'll certainly come back to you, have that discussion. I think what you're really going to need to look at is you're probably going to have to have that expansion discussion again. If, if we're not able to go up for whatever reason and our only option is to go out, then you'll need to know that. You'll need to know what you, what you're doing, what the city's going to be doing with that racquetball space, may impact our ability to expand outwards, mm -hmm. and and we won't really know that until we get deeper into the analysis. In regards to the um, 
the selection of the nonprofit. Um, I don't think that's anything we need to jump into right away. We'll, we'll talk about process and questions to ask, and um, we'll check, check in with you one, one more time before we go out, uh, just to make sure we're asking the right questions and framing it the, the way uh, in which you want us to. I would think a request for proposals from nonprofits should not be burdensome for them. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, good deal. Thank you, Julie. We are excited to move forward. I just want to say that. I mean, everything we could do in that building, it's, it is being used by the public. It's fun to see them in there every day. So thank you very much. Yeah. And thank you, Justin and Josh and Kumi. It's good to see you all again. You too, Chad. <laughs> okay, we can move on to the next item, which is clarification of agenda items. Who has, who needs clarity? Can we pull uh, agenda item 4E5 for separate consideration? Maybe. What is it? Is it 4E5? Mormon track. 4D5? 4E. Or 4D. I meant 4E. The Mormon track. The Mormon track. Uh, sure. Sure. And how's it been revised? I, I see that it has been. I believe it's just the project name. Oh. And that the only reason is to highlight and make a couple of comments. That's it. That you can vote against it. Huh? A couple. Yeah, just a couple. I'm just going to say something about I got a couple. Yeah, you know. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to make sure. You want us to, we'll just come up and um, Ron or Jason can give you a quick overview of what that project is and you can state what you need or ask questions and. I don't, I mean, if you want to, yeah. I mean, it was more, I mean, I know you've talked about it before and so I don't want to rehash it. I just wanted to pull it to maybe more highlighted for the community and okay. make a couple of comments. We don't have to pull it. They can just do that during the consent calendar and then we can vote on the whole thing. I mean, you can highlight, you don't have to vote on it separately. I mean, you can if you That's want. That's fine. I can, I can do it during the consent part yeah. of the agenda too. Right. Okay. I'll do that. So you got to make sure I don't move too yeah, quickly on that, get votes, and then suddenly you can't say anything. Calendar, I got to talk about. If you see me starry-eyed and not say anything, just let me. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to ask you, if I want to comment on item that on the consent agenda, can I do it like during the... During discussion. Discuss so discussion. So you know, there's a motion to approve and uh -huh. then a second and sure. then discussion. And so you can bring up any of the items there. Sure. Yeah. All right. Just identify the item. Okay. Say, you know, I don't know, 4E5 or whatever sure. the number is. All right. That's good deal. You, you really want to pull the item if, the, if you want to have a dissenting vote, if you want to vote against it, or if you've got questions you that know, you think would be common. beneficial. Yeah. yeah. If it's just a comment, then... Comment and suggestion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, Can we do that now? Yeah. Or, yeah. Discussion. Yeah, it's not like a voting or anything, yeah. Now, in the end, you will yes. be voting up or down be, yes. for the whole consent. For the whole yeah. consent agenda, yeah. Right. No, that's fine. Okay. Other items? I just have a question on the rationale on 4D7, and Kelly, this has no negative <laughs> repercussions on you. This is on the city clerk contract amendment. Um, I was just curious why maybe we weren't looking at making this adjustment over a number of years to gradually bring the maximum back down in line with other administrative positions. I, I fully understand and support that Kelly 
and the rest of the people in the office have done an outstanding job and Kelly has not been able to take vacation and has accrued uh, probably a lot of additional vacation from the time Marion left to they were understaffed and then getting up to speed on her job. I guess my question is, why are we leaving this so that the maximum payment, it's leaving it up at 320 hours instead of, say, over the next five years, bringing that maximum down to match the rest of the administrative. It just seems like me that would be a little more logical. Well, the, the city manager has a contract that has a different level of vacation payout so it's not an unusual thing okay to do so we just kind of use that as a as a model okay I guess I just misinterpreted the first sentence I was making the assumption that they were all more in line so okay yeah I mean you, I, I think all three of ours are probably different okay. they are currently okay um, I take yeah. more, I have more vacation okay I withdraw my comments I just okay. I wanted to comment on on that item just to say that I hope we can give her some vacation soon, particularly maybe in June when you know we're not having any meetings in yeah. June. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully you could take some time then soon. Yeah, much deserved time. Am I right in understanding there are no cost implications? Yeah. Potentially at the at the end of employment, you're increasing the another twenty the payout. Years, thirty years. It would be the payout. <laughs> All the vacation hours get bought out. So okay. if you if you exceed your cap, they're gonna she would get paid just like any other employee for those vacation hours. If you can accrue more, there's a there's a chance if you keep that accrual high, when you separate employment, you're going to be paying out that vacation at a higher wage rate. Um, the difference is is probably fairly minimal, um, but you'd be paying a little bit more. Okay. Other questions? Uh, I was going to bring up correspondence, if that's okay, Jim. Well, let's, maybe time. we could hold off. I, I, I know I have a couple questions about you know, the specific items, so yeah, let, let me do them, I guess, and see if there are others. So anyhow, item 4D1. Uh, Chief Greer, uh, this is really a question about the strategic plan for the fire department. So, yeah, it looks like a good plan and everything. I, I, I see, you know, so I don't have any criticism of it, really. But one thing it's I good. noticed, yeah, is that I did not see any explicit reference towards sustainability and about what the fire department is doing to further our sustainability objectives. So let me say a little bit more uh, related to that. I think the whole idea of protecting the city, neighborhoods, houses, et cetera, from fire damage is part of sustainability. So Certainly. everything you do is directly related to it in that sense. But in other ways, I don't see anything uh, in the strategic plan related to sustainability. For example, anything having to do with carbon emission reductions. Of course, if you don't have any fires, you're reducing carbon emissions. But you understand. So, Absolutely. Uh, so I would hope that, oh, I don't know, in my ideal version, there might be an addendum to the, to the strategic plan indicating how you see that the, uh, the fire department could help advance those sustainability objectives. And I think you've already been doing some work related to, the, to it with regard to the, the uh, climate action 
plan and development of it, but I don't know. I, I, haven't, I don't know if you've had that conversation. Yeah, we can certainly, uh, we look at it every year. Actually, we look at it all the time, but we do an update with the spring planning meeting, and that's certainly something we can work into our, uh, our sessions that we do. Probably one of the biggest ones is past the strategic plan now, and that is, I mean, Fire Station 4 was LEED certified, so, I mean, that was a big yeah, deal at the time. Two, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. the rebuild of two, so. Yes. Certainly, they've done a lot. I, my guess is you're not going to do a whole lot with those fire engines on sustainability. <laughs> yeah, I, we're, I mean, we're certainly cognizant of what, yeah. what you're talking about. And what do they get, about 0.3 miles per gallon? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to pay the bill, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, but I, point taken, we will certainly look at that. I was thinking also about equity in terms of trying to diversify the uh, the, the, the mix of employees in the fire department. Yes. And I know there's reference to that as an ambition within mm -hmm. the strategic plan, your strategic plan. Uh, but we take it very seriously, and I'm sure you know that. So Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think those camps that we're focusing on, we're trying to uh, get to folks when they're younger. And we're certainly looking at ways that we advertise our openings and uh, trying to reach a greater population as Across Iowa, our requirements for testing are minimal, 18 driver's license, high school graduation. So we try to get as many folks to apply as we can. So we will continue our efforts in working with uh, uh, Karen and her staff to make sure that we get the word out far and wide. Yeah, good deal. I was happy to see um, kind of your stress on safety and well-being of the, of the community as well as the safety and continuing education of, of your firefighters. So I think that's that's a good thing, and I'm, I'm excited that in our budget we're going to have that new training tower for you. So I'm excited Thank for that you. to we're happen. We're excited as well. <laughs> yes, so that's good. Any other questions for Chief Greer? Thanks. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah. I have another agenda item. Do you mind if I go into that? So item 4D5, this is the resolution pertaining to McAllister, the engineering services contract. So my question really is one of timing and coordination. I'm wondering where in the process the consultant will be coordinating with Opticos, because Opticos, I don't know, beginning after July 1, will be developing form-based code. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't give you that answer now because Opticos isn't under contract. Um, as soon as we could get them on board, we'll we'll make sure they're they're talking, and we have the benefit of the previous Opticos study that that the um, AECOM, who's who's doing the McAllister Boulevard design for us, they will have, and they'll be able to reference that previous work. But they can't really collaborate with Opticos until we get them under contract. From a timing standpoint, I think there's ample time. I'm looking at Jason and Ron. Um, we do hope to get Opticos to you um, in, a, in a proposal for an agreement with them in, in July at some point. So, you know, the design of this roadway is going to take place in the fall and the winter to be bid out and constructed next year. Okay, dope. Thanks. I had a question on 4E4, the Melrose Avenue fiber optic extension. Since it extends through portions of University Heights, do they benefit from that at all? And if so, would they be obligated to help fund it? That's a good question. Um, I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to get back to you on that. Okay, thanks, Joe. 
there's a piece oh. of that. Oh. He got back to you. As, as, a, as a part of our agreement with University Heights, they would have the ability to use the fiber, but there would be an, a separate agreement besides what we're already allowing for the use of the right-of-way. So okay. if, if, we would, if they would want to use the fiber, there would be a, another agreement that we'd have to have with them for that use. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Ron. On 4E3, which is the Creekside Park Improvement Project and a public hearing on a request for bids. I was a little confused about whether the cost, the $563,000 cost was for the base scope of the bid only or whether it included the six alternates or you know part of the six alternates or whatever. <laughs> we think it's just the base, yeah, just the base. All right, well, that answers my question. Thanks. All right, any other questions about core items in the consent calendar, or, or I mean on the agenda? Rockney? Yeah, so correspondence. Um, you know, whenever Mary Gravitt writes, I always pay very close attention, in addition to all the other ones. But I wasn't particularly concerned about uh, the, the profane language that I was City Public Library. Um, don't know the age of the people involved, but it seems like there's been young people. We've had an issue with having alternative spaces, and I think this sort of underscores the need for that. Um, so I don't know if, Jeff, if you could comment, how has it been at the library lately in terms of disciplinary issues or what's being done? Because it's certainly, we're trying to balance two different needs here. I think one, the need for a quiet library, and the other thing is underscores a need for teens to have a place where they can enjoy, and of course enjoy the library too, as long as they respect the rules on that. But, but that does concern me in terms of what she identified. Sure. Um, so when we had our staff meeting last week, Susan Craig had addressed this issue and responded to it. Um, as far as we're aware, no staff person was was alerted to these things occurring, in which case, um, you know, we were assured that library staff would have would have addressed it at the time. Um, and then the second component of that, uh, apparently they were described as not just young people, but just a general um, non-observance of, of you know, I can actually library jump on quiet. this one because they came from the rec center and then went to the library. In oh, that okay. case. Um, it was adults. It was an adult couple having an argument with each other. Um, okay. They'd been kicked out of the rec center and continued that behavior in the lobby of the library. So, okay. We haven't heard yet um, any concerns about disciplinary issues as, you know, there There's may... been no uptick that you've been able to identify? No, okay. I haven't heard that. Um, you know, we may experience a difference in... in activity at the library, especially as we go and roll into summer programs, um, that it'll get busy. So we'll, we'll just have to keep our ear to the ground and, and see what, uh, what that looks like. So, anything else about agenda items? Again, on correspondence, I, I was touched by the letter from the parent of one of the students that received the, the student uh, award. Uh, I don't think in all my time I've been on the council, we've been giving those awards. That's one of my favorite things to do, but I don't think we've ever received such a formal thank you for it, and that, that really yeah. touched me. That was nice. Yeah, it was very sweet. I was 
pleased to see the Gary Klein uh, 4F9 mentioning the pedestrian, not pleased in that he was mentioning the traffic fatalities, but that it was on his, he was conscious of it. You know, it's something that I know I've been emphasizing on council and, um, you know, it, really for this thing to, to gain traction, it's going to require, in my view, the, the understanding and concern on the part of the community as a whole. So seeing that, um, you know, that, that may be something people are becoming more concerned with. Yeah. Right. All right, want to move ahead to the info packets? May 3rd. Before we jump to that, the rest of the agenda, I did have a question. Have On the rezonings, I had heard via the grapevine, and I don't know if there's any truth to this, that one of the five property owners for the historic landmark designation that had not protested previously had since protested. Is there any truth to that? Right. There were, there were questions that they had, and my understanding is they met with staff this afternoon and resolved those so that they are not going to make a okay. object. object. It wouldn't have been counted as a protest, protest. for supermajority purposes, but okay. that's my understanding. It's correct. Okay, thank you. I, I just want to make sure, Jim, we didn't, you kind of jumped from correspondence to the info packets if it did anybody have any question on any of the rest of the agenda items oh, I don't know that's that's I, I asked that yeah, question I, several times yeah. so I don't know uh, well I yeah. you'd kind of gone through it in order and I just want to make sure that people have that chance all right fine I'm not hearing thing about not hearing anything about the May 3rd info packet. So how about May 10? Is it May 10? Okay. Yeah, for May 10, I would like to ask about IB5. You know, I know that you guys met with the group. Who is those groups? C E D A C. But that group. Hold on. So, sorry, um, about IP5, is that what you said? Uh-huh. So, so I asked the question classes. again. You, uh, I guess a group of you guys went and mm -hmm. met with them. I just want to know what the group, uh, like C-E-D-A-C group. What's that? What's that? It's, um, I can't remember the acronym off the top of my head now. <clears throat> I, I don't remember the acronym, so. Okay. Um, There's a refugee alliance yeah. that was oh. there. As well as Joan Vandenberg from the school district and and Colleen from Kirkwood. You mean the group is uh, like the member? Those the member that you're telling me about that uh, yeah from Kirkwood and from the refugees member of that group or? I, I'm not sure what acronym so, you're. Yeah, oh, so okay, down, the, way down. Okay, see on the bottom of page one, C E D A C. Yeah, so CDEC is Community Education Advisory Council. Um, I believe it's the group that Joan Vandenberg is associated with, and she was a part of that meeting, um, as well as other members. She also plays a dual role because she's with other members as far as the Refugee Alliance as well. And so mm -hmm. that's where that CDAC came from. <coughs> that was from one of the participants that wasn't from Jim. Sure. 
So let me say a little bit more about that particular info packet and the email that I sent, yeah. and uh, which conveyed um, an email from Colleen Schmidt uh -huh. and had, had those two reports. I didn't realize the way they were going to appear in print. So the key report was what was titled the Issue Brief Educational Access for LEP Adults in Iowa City. And the other was more, it was related, but not directly focused on what our conversation uh, had to do with. So I thought, uh, Susan, you and Kingsley can uh, say whatever, uh, is, tell me if I'm wrong about this, but I thought it was a really good, fruitful conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, and the main point that I got from it is that adult learners of English are having a lot of trouble finding uh, accessible, uh, reasonable cost um, places where they can get the kind of training they need to learn how to converse in English and then be able to get jobs, et cetera, uh, by having that, that kind of ability to speak English uh, well enough. So Colleen presented us with ideas about what could possibly be done. We discussed that at length. And I think the bottom line we came up with was that it would be helpful to co-convene a series of, a cluster of stakeholders who could begin talking about what could be done to help adult um, uh, learners of English. English, yeah. So how we would proceed, I don't know. In fact, that was the question I was going to ask you is, do you have advice about how we should proceed? And we, I hadn't had a chance to talk with Jeff about it either. But uh, it, it seems pretty clear that there's a significant problem for a significant number of our residents and that we should be involved in coming up with uh, a solution to that problem. But we can't do it by ourselves. So. Hence the idea of co-convening something with other stakeholders, like the school district, like Kirkwood, like, um, I don't know, the county. I don't know who else. So do any of you have ideas about how we could proceed? Kingsley, you and Susan and I haven't really had a chance to talk about that since we held the meeting. Well, my takeaway from the meeting was that Joan and some of the others there were going to start working on trying to co-convene something. They were going to reach out to Mark Nolte at ICAD and some other people um, that we had mentioned. So I guess I was kind of of the mind of sitting back and waiting to hear from Joan and others who might be trying to get something like that organized. So I think we talked about a lot of different, different resources and, and clearly the fact that this is not... Um, as you said, Jim, this is not something that the city can do, or nor is it our responsibility, but we certainly are interested in trying to help work on the problem um, and find, find ways to coordinate with others. Um, so I think Joan was kind of taking the lead on making some of those contacts. Yeah, I think that was happening, you know, trying to develop a, a stakeholder group to discuss these issues more in depth. I mean, I think that for me, a clearly or a more clearly articulated plan as far as um, I think that the need, um, I mean, you kind of articulated already um, was, you know, how do we how do we incorporate a more diverse workforce when we have um, uh, 
individuals or community that have so much talent um, that isn't being utilized. And you know, one of the ways to do that is providing training and classes um, to that end. Um, but there were some other comments, or there was a long list of additional things, childcare and some other stuff that I think, again, what is the what is the focus? And I, I think that. I, that part I, I would want to see a little bit more clearly drawn out just so before we kind of go into a little bit deeper conversation, um, we know kind of where we, where we need to be involved. I just would like to suggest that we include like some people who already start doing something like this, but uh, not necessarily they have the capacity or the funding or the, resor the resources for like many people in the community because they can serve only few people, uh, such as uh, some Kyrgyz, the international woman group, they doing fantastic job, but you know, sometimes they do it only one day, two days, it's not enough. And the Center for Orca Justice also, they doing English classes. And if we can involve those people because they already started, but not necessary, they doing like really covering all the community or like reaching out to all of them because they don't have that capacity to do so. Uh, I think part of what they want to do is kind of get a database of who's doing what and not start from scratch, but utilize yes. those that are already working and figure out how to fill the gaps and, and mm, that's capacity. a big great idea and, yeah. and we did we talked the fact that child care and transportation were also issues not just the classes themselves right. but uh, the accessibility sure. in a number of sure. different ways yeah I just would like to really you know show a support for the step that you guys take to, to do this and mm. try to help the people navigate so yeah. I'm wondering if it would be helpful to have one of our members one of us be reach out to Joan Vandenberg and Colleen Schmidt and sort of be the link, temporarily at least, between what they're doing. Like you said, Susan, I'd forgotten that particular part of our conversation. Uh, so, so that we're remaining in contact with them and finding a way to move ahead rather than simply sort of passively waiting. Well, why don't we tell them that we're interested in what their feedback and suggestions are and in working with them in an ongoing process in terms of recommendations, and they can come back to us with additional recommendations that we can more effectively serve. Um, I don't think they're coming back with recommendations, Rockney. I think it's more, at this point, co-convening a lot of different stakeholders, and I think we should be a part of that convening to make sure that they're not just giving us recommendations, but we are a part of building any of those recommendations. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought, too. Yeah, I mean... Uh, <laughs> I'm not volunteering. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. My yeah. calendar is full. I mean, between the Access Center, now they've asked me to be on the Executive Committee as well as the Steering Committee and everything else, I, I can't add another thing. I'm comfortable with the fact that Joan was starting to pull this together and would get back to us. But if you want somebody to be reaching out more actively and doing that, it's going to have to be somebody other than me. Well, that goes, my second point is down the drain. So my, <laughs> first, my first point, I, I do think they have a little more work to do. I mean, not to put Maz on the spot, you know, if Maz, I, I wouldn't say that I'm, I wouldn't say that we need to set up that liaison just yet. I'm more interested in how they're collaborating with other other entities. I mean, my, my first thought process is, you know, obviously it was talking about training. There was some conversation about funding, which is, I think, why primarily we're there as well. I would love to see just a schedule as far as what the classes are, what the training is currently happening um, across the 
across the city slash county to just get a better understanding of you know where the needs currently exist. Um, could it be that um, people have been working on this need additional resources? I mean, this is one of those you know partnership conversations that I know Susan's talked about in the past, and I've tried to mention as well as far as you know different groups. I think get into situations where there's different areas of need around a focus group, and it's really a, a larger potentially systemic problem and that other entities are working on. And then, you know, we may support this organization, but this organization hasn't seen to support. I, I want to see more of a connection because, I, I mean, I guess looking at it from a, a workforce standpoint, I, I think it's very beneficial to our community, and I definitely think we should step in. And I think that, you know, from a just in general, how do we activate um, more employment opportunities in general for people that are here, I think it's awesome, um, especially from a diverse standpoint. But I would say that they need to just do a little bit more work as far as connecting the dots a little bit. Um, and I would say, going back to Rockney's point, we would say, we, we thank you for you know, sharing the information. We're considering your request. We'd like to see you reach out to other diverse stakeholders um, and get some more um, information um, and, and provide a more clarified need and then come back to us with more information. I think we should, I think we could leave it on them to come back with a, to us with more information instead of having a liaison. I do think Ms. Ma should reach out and say, hey, here's some other groups that are part of this conversation that need to be a part of this conversation as well. I just think we're, we're too far. We're not, it's too early. Just want to wait. From a project management standpoint, we're just, they're here, we're here. I just want them to be right here so we can be closer. Thinking of like Hitch. Mm. Uh -huh. I agree. All right, well, I can write Colleen and Joan and say, hey, keep us posted on what, what you've been able to do in terms of identifying other stakeholders and taking further steps. Yeah. Okay. Anything else in the May 10 packet? Listening posts. February 8th, uh, the, the, the IP number 8. So uh, we plan to hold a listening post in May. May's half over. So I just didn't know, I mean, location. Yeah, so you identified two, Farmer's Market down here or the former Baculus Mobile Home Park are two possibilities. There might be others. Um. I'd, having lived over there previously. I don't know where the person had in mind for Baculus, which is now actually Kohl's. They have an office space there, which has a lower level, but I guess we'd have to check with Eddie Cole and see where, sure. if there's a space there. I mean, that's an excellent idea, although the other, I mean, because the aspect of that is that both of those, the uh, what was that term, what was Baculus, are very heavily populated with Hispanic folks, and it would be nice, but then we perhaps would need a translator, too, to, for them to feel a part of it and express their concerns. Mm -hmm. What date were we thinking of? Um, well, we had no specific date, no, but okay. we had in May. Sometime okay. in May is what our tentative schedule called for. Yeah, I would support the mobile home park, and I'd be happy to do it if that will work. So we'd have to reach out to Eddie Cole, I think, to see if it's okay to come on to the mobile uh, home court. Uh, and then try to pin down a date. I would join Rockney there too. If you we said 
this is will be on May or when? Well, it, you know, if, if we could schedule it in May, that'd be great, but it's the 15th already, so maybe uh -huh. it would be early June. Just hold those for the summer. If in May, I can do it, June but if not, that's it. Yeah. So I, I think, Rockney, do I hear you volunteering? Yeah, me too. Pauline, I hear you volunteering. So I, I, think, I would just be curious if there's others who want to do it. I think, Pauline, you've done like I've done a lot of them. Four or five I have, the last because nobody six, ever so. volunteers, so I say, I'll do it. I can do it. So Maz is interested. Maz and Pauline back up. Yeah, but try to do it like me, me, me. <laughs> the end of me. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure we'll be able to find another person if that's necessary. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, sure. All right, any other items in the May 10 packet? So I just want to bring up IP7. A lot of people have been reading about the efforts of Faculty Forward, and what I would request is that our mayor uh, submit a letter in support of recognition of Faculty Forward, um, which for those of you who don't know on the audience, there's a ongoing issue at the University of Iowa related to non-tenure faculty um, and working conditions for non-tenure faculty um, who are long-term employees of the University of Iowa. Um, I want to anticipate a couple concerns that people may raise. One, obviously employment issues are very sensitive involving other entities. Um, that said, this does involve a number of people reside in the city of Iowa City, a major employer. It's been a very public event. And the letter, Jim, you're extremely diplomatic. The letter would be very simple, um, just to sort of recognize and support both the university and recognizing their tough budget times that they're in. But at the same point, I think it's important that we stand behind organizing efforts, because that's ultimately what this appears to be, organizing efforts of workers throughout the community, whether it's in academia, low-wage workers, they're major issues. So I would ask that we would do this, um, and I think that we could do it in a very diplomatic. Jim could keep it extremely short. Um, and then ultimately there's a process in place that will take place and it would be addressed to President Harold. Um, this has manifested itself. There was a sit-in within the last week. Um, it does appear to be percolating up, and I think it's important that we stand behind the workers, um, regardless of their educational level, their income level, where they're at, and that we not pick and choose uh, which uh, labor issues we want to get involved in. I think it is appropriate for us as a body to do that. So this would be similar in some respects to the I-380 issue. Um, I don't know whether Jim would want to give us some feedback in terms of a letter, but we'd have to get support from the rest of council before we would authorize the mayor to write such a letter. But I would like us to do that. I think this is a pretty complicated topic. Uh, was it just today or yesterday in the Press Citizen there was an article about faculty freezes, or freezes on faculty and staff pay at the university? Yep. Plus, they, uh, uh, the universities just had you know the mid-year budget cut, and only part of that was restored for the forthcoming year. And I understand there are considerable variations in opinion among the people who teach at the university. And of course, there are tenure-track professors, there are non-tenure-track teachers and lecturers, adjuncts, et cetera. And I'm absolutely certain that uh, adjuncts and lecturers are underpaid. That's pretty clear and has been clear for quite some time, but it's not clear to me how to resolve that issue. And it's, um, you know, it's 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 a it's its own internal thing too, where the, the the administration and faculty and others in the university have to figure out through their own processes how to proceed 
No. And I understand that, Jim, but labor issues are always complicated. There's always complications in terms of budget, in terms of these issues. I don't think we have to get into the particulars, but just support of the support of faculty forward and the University of Iowa during this process. We wouldn't weigh in any particular topics, um, and I think we can do that. I, I think the minute you write this letter, and, and I, I'll give you a little bit of background. I mean, when I was at Kirkwood, I was president of the Faculty Association. I was chief negotiator for a number of years, so I've been on, been there in that labor part. And we were in the same situation. Our part-time faculty were not unionized, and by law they could not unionize. And what we really struggled with was the administration uh, not adding full-time positions, but adding part-time positions. Mm -hmm. And we also sat there. Yeah. And we also sat there at the bargaining table looking at what the state was giving Kirkwood for a budget mm -hmm. and knowing that what they were trying to do was keep as many faculty in the classrooms to provide the classes that were being demanded um, by people trying to attend and get an education. And they, they were in, in a real catch-22 situation, which was incredibly crappy for the part-time faculty. Mm -hmm. And so I, I get that, and I understand it, and I, I know a number of people who are in those non-tenure positions, and and I've had letters from faculty. I don't feel, as a city council, with particularly as, and I think you articulated incredibly well, Jim, as complicated as this is, and the number of different pieces involved with it, that there's any way for us to send a letter that does not absolutely look like us trying to get in the middle of the university's business where they have a very complicated issue to try and work through. I, I, I don't care how diplomatically it's written. I think it is absolutely going to be seen as a criticism of the administration at the University of Iowa. Um, and I think for each of us to express our own views and individual support in ways I think is fine. I don't think that it should come from officially from the council. What do the rest of you think? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I, I'm very sympathetic. I just, uh, it does seem like a very complex issue um, that, you know, just to put it on the other foot, if the city were involved in a similar situation, um, how would we feel if an outside entity were to? I think they should. <laughs> um, I just don't know what we Public would bring body. to it. You know, I, I just don't know if we have any insight. Uh, I, but I certainly sympathize with the situation. I think. I mean, I think you use the word diplomatic, and you're right, Jim is usually very good about that in, in any sort of um, communication with, with anyone. Um, but I think if it was more just simplistic, just encouraging uh, the powers that be to use good faith efforts to, to work with this group, that if they want to uh, be represented by a union, uh, don't do things to discourage that. You know, we don't have to say you got to pay them, you got to give them vacation, you got to do their benefits. We don't have to talk about their contract issues, but just saying that uh, use some good faith efforts and, and work with them on organizing. That's all. But of course, that comes from an organ my organizing blood. Sure. <laughs> They're underpaid. Right. It's not good. Should be changed. <laughs> so I got two. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with Pauline and some of the comments that have made, John. I mean, I think that, I mean, I think we're we're talking about um, 
just providing some type of response I think is important, um, but not to the level of rocking that I think you're, you're speaking about. Um, I'm yeah, satisfied with any letter. Yeah, I, I would say to that point, I, I would say to that point. Support both parties. Yeah, yeah I, I do think we should do a letter. I do think we should um, weigh in because I've received some of that communication, and there is a my, there is a personal part of me. I'm an, currently an adjunct professor as well, not at the university, so I don't have that mm. conflict. Um, but I do think it's important to. Um, just highlight again some of the things that the struggles that we worked through. I mean, I think that when we were deliberating, we took a good faith effort to extend um, a lot of our contracts based on the fact that we were hearing some things from um, Des Moines, and so you know we've we've done some of that work, and the university has as well. And so I think we can craft a letter that isn't you know we're of a city telling you what to do, and it's more hey we're supportive of whatever efforts come from this where both parties can be both parties can benefit, and you know, word it from that standpoint. And then highlight, I mean, I could see a, a sandwich effect. Not a sandwich effect, but more like my sandwich where there's heavy meat on the, in the, on the top is, you know, the focus on union rights, the focus on our relationship with the university, and talking about how each of us can work together. And so three paragraphs, boom, boom. Not saying I'm going to write it, but you can get, you got it. <laughs> you got to write it. Yeah, for me, I, I guess I agree with Kinsley. I support you know, sending like that letter of support, yeah. Uh, well, I hear four people uh, saying I should write such a letter, so I'll draw upon th these alleged diplomatic skills. <laughs> You're very diplomatic. <laughs> or goes to write such a thing. You do an excellent yeah, job. Well, you know, a person can be diplomatic until a person's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then it all falls apart. So, okay, so if... I really like some of the language you used, but I didn't get it all written down. And I know if I ask you to repeat what you said, you won't be able to do it. Yeah. <laughs> could you? Could you? Know, can you take a stab at kind of revisiting the, the way can, you phrase it? Let's, let's that? talk after. We can talk okay. after. Yeah. All right. That sounds good to me. Okay. Okay. Let's see. Uh, any other uh, um, information items from the pay, May 10 packet? No. Uh, I'm going to guess the answer is no. Can we go through council updates on assigned boards, et cetera? Maybe we can start with John. Move to the left. Um, well, uh, I did want to mention at ICAD there were uh, two presentations, and I'm looking for my notes. I have kind of a pile here, so I, I'll just have to uh, refer to my memory, and that is uh, two presentations, one by the CEO of ACT, uh, and the other by an organization, a company, um, IDX, I believe they're called. Uh, they work on retinal technology, uh, kind of automated medical procedures. Is that right, Jeff? Did, yes. did I get the? It was a very interesting contrast, which is why I thought it would. I'd pass it on to you. Uh, IDX is is doing quite well. Uh, the FDA just approved one of their procedures. Um, in terms of local connectivity, there are many, many of their employees are from the state of Iowa, university educated here. Uh, and so it's a very positive experience hearing their story. And then that was followed by ACT, uh, which is going through what seemed to be pretty dramatic changes in their organizational structure uh, and their mission. They're moving beyond, not that they're leaving behind assessment, but working on uh, 
expanding their services because assessments are no longer necessarily required at universities and, and, and missions. So, you know, how can they help with diagnostics of, uh, you know, the educational process before it comes to the assessment point? Uh, this is leading to issues of mergers and acquisitions that ACT is pursuing. And so the, the business model and the structure of the business seem to be in flux, which may have significant impacts on employment in Iowa City in the long term. So it was kind of a, a very candid conversation or presentation by the CEO. Um, and, uh, it, you know, ACT, ACT, like IDX, kind of had local origins. So it was interesting. The contrast between the two presentations were pretty startling. And I, I think there was certainly some concern after his, the ACT presentation as to the future of ACT in the, in the city. And, you know, Jeff, I don't know if you have anything to contribute to this, but it was... You know, ACT and Pearson are two and three in terms of employment in Iowa City. So this is a fairly major employment issue that, that we could be facing. I, I think you summed it up well. The bottom line is it's an industry that's rapidly changing. The, the model that they have followed for so long is, is no longer going to be relevant going forward. So they're reinventing themselves. And anytime you go through that process, everything's on the table. And um, I wasn't at that particular meeting, but um, have... Um, Heard those comments, and and um, I think I think it's you know we have to express our support and our interest, but at the same time we have to know that they're they're evolving um, and they're changing, and and uh, we hope they continue to do that here. But you know as we saw with Procter and Gamble, these large companies, whether they're homegrown or not, they they have to make decisions and what's best for you know their particular business interest. Um, so. We're going to do everything we can. I know we can. I know I can, and others will do the same to express our support and, and make sure that they stay here and they grow here. And that's all we can do. Okay, Rockney. I don't have any update with the City Blit Board. Oz. Uh, I don't have a bit because the uh, City Transit they just meet like every three months, and the next one will be on the twenty second. Nothing. Okay, so I attended a public um, um, no, partnership for alcohol safety meeting, as did Simon, as did uh, Chief Matherly, on May the 8th. And the group did some brainstorming to identify priorities for the 2019-2022 Alcohol Harm Reduction Plan. And Chief Matherly provided a really fine overview about the work that the neighborhood and downtown officers are doing and will be doing. And there were some other things, but th those were the key topics, right, Simon? Yeah. There's also going to be a CVB board meeting, Convention and Visitors Bureau board meeting on the 17th, two days from now. I've asked Pauline to join me at that so she can get a sense of how that meeting goes. Also, as uh, this has nothing to do with committees or boards, as promised, I've comp I have completed a final revised draft of the letter concerning the widening of I-380. Mm -hmm. I shared it with Jeff. Uh, I think we can move ahead with it now to try to set up a working group conversation with other mayors and other interested parties. And yeah, so moving ahead on that. Anything else? As I mentioned, the 
Access Center Committee continues to meet. We had a um, steering committee meeting yesterday, yeah, yesterday morning. And they have asked me, since Iowa City is kind of a key player in this with the amount of money we've committed for the facility, they've asked me to join the, the executive committee as well. We did have um, a number of us participated in a closed session with the Board of Supervisors. I believe it was last week. It was closed, basically all I can say, it was closed under state law, allowing closed session for discussion of potential property, um, discuss, purpose of discussing po potential properties. Um, so other than that, things continue to move along and we're getting some, we've got a full-time um, project manager now working with the group. I think that's really going to help, especially with Jessica Peckover having left. We needed somebody to kind of fill her shoes and uh, looking to set up some uh, subcommittees within the steering committee to work on various things from facility to uh, policies and procedures and codes and stuff, the, the health care codes for reimbursement and those kinds of things. So, yeah. and still discussing name because that's a huge issue. So we'll see where that lands. Yeah. Okie doke. I think we can call it quits for now and get back together for the formal meeting at seven o'clock.